The scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thanks be to God for the gift of his word. Would you pray with me? Most gracious God, we gather on this day to celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior, Lord God, may we not miss the opportunity to ask, how can this be? How can it be that God would love the world so much that he would become one of us? Not just to be with us, but to save us, to redeem us, to become our very righteousness. Lord, may we ponder what that means for us, the implications on our past, our present, in our future. Lord, may we not only think about the implications for our own lives, but the implications for the world as we consider, Lord, all the places around the world that need your love and grace and redemption. Lord, we pray for the Middle East. We pray for Ukraine. We pray for our own country and the divisions that are within us. We give you our world, O oh God. We know, Jesus, that you came in love to save us. And we ask that you would continue to transform our world into the peaceful place that we are called to be. Lord God, we give you our church. We pray that St. Andrew's would be a light of love and grace on the corner of Buffalo and Bissonette here in Houston, Lord, that people each and every person that comes in would know and experience your presence, your love, your grace. You're grateful for it. We thank you the most for the gift of Jesus, Lord, his life, his death, his resurrection that has come into our lives, saving us from ourselves and from the sin of this world. And so we rejoice. We sing joy to the world We do so, Lord, as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand.
you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the holidays, the holy days, days that we are to set apart, Lord, during Advent to prepare our hearts to really ponder the gift of Jesus. And so, Lord, on this day, we celebrate, we worship, we are grateful, Lord, That because of Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. We have been made right. And ultimately, everything will be made right with the world. And so we are grateful. And I pray, Lord, today that we would think and ponder together about the full implications of the gift of Jesus. And to that end, I pray that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of the baby born in Bethlehem. Amen. I don't often find myself thinking about the history of celebrating Christmas. Do you? It's a holiday with roots that span back to the 4th century. The pilgrims, English separatists that came to America in 1620 were very orthodox in their Puritan beliefs. As a result, Christmas was not a holiday in early America. They thought it was too pagan. From 1659 to 1681, the celebration of Christmas was actually outlawed in Boston. In 1659, the government of Massachusetts Bay passed a law that Whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing of labor, feasting, or any other way, shall pay for every such offense five shillings as a fine to the county. After the American Revolution, English customs fell out of favor again, including Christmas. In fact, Christmas wasn't declared a national holiday until 1870. You know, you just feel like it's always been around. It's just an interesting thing. I was thinking about that this morning. In light of that, I'm so glad that Christmas, even as commercial as it's become, is a holiday we all share. I can't imagine this time of year without it. For there's something that happens when I hear this passage read each year. 
And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As we annually revisit the story of the birth of Jesus, we all remember the truth of why he came, to save us, to redeem us. He saves us from our sins. He redeems us from death itself. These are the things most every Christian hopefully knows. Yet in listening to Paul's thoughts in 1 Corinthians, there's more to it. Paul writes, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us Wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Paul declares Christ has become those weighty things, right? Righteousness, holiness, and redemption. This is how Jesus saves us. In the last judgment, as we stand before God, we will be wrapped in righteousness like a robe, in Jesus' righteousness. And his righteousness literally becomes our righteousness. Because of this, our sin is nowhere in sight. This is good news. But even so, even so, there are other implications that are not so far in the future. Good implications. Recently, I was reading a piece by Friar Stephen Freeman that gave me a comforting sense of another very practical result of Jesus' redemption. He writes this, History exercises a sort of tyranny in our lives. The mistakes we make and the consequences that extend beyond them threaten to bind us to the past. We think of ourselves as the product of the past, shaped and formed by what has been. Our history controls our destiny, haunting every movement and decision. If you are like I am, what Freeman is touching on is almost a tectonic part of human life. To feel bound to the past. To feel that history controls our destiny, our future. Haunting every movement and decision. And the way this plays out in my life is not helpful. Because I don't know about you, but the parts of the past that bind me are generally not the good ones. They're not the good parts. They are the parts that highlight my failures, that highlight the way my sinfulness has hurt myself and others, the innumerable times that I've come up short. This, of course, is nothing more than the bondage of sin, the very thing from which Jesus saves us. Here's how Freeman puts it. The story of our salvation is the deliverance from tyranny, The smashing and destruction of that which binds us. As surely as Christ trampled down death by death, he trampled down the dominion 
of history. As surely as he trampled death by death, he trampled history. Let that sink in. This is what Paul means when he states that Christ is our righteousness. His righteousness literally becomes our own. Our righteousness doesn't arise from our own history. Our righteousness, our condition, who we are, arises from his story instead of ours. Freeman continues, The coming of the kingdom of God is the entrance into history, into space and time, of the timeless freedom of eternity. The end of all things is not the result of what has come before. Think about that. The end of all things is not the result of what has come before. The end does not belong to history. The scriptures place the end outside of history. When the kingdom of God comes and with it, the timeless freedom of eternity, Christ's righteousness will be our defining Trait. That is the why of the fact that history is not the end, right? It's not based on what's happened before. It's based on actually what's happening in the future. In other words, our identity, who we are, our worth, is not tied to the past. It's tied to the future. It's tied to who we are becoming in Jesus Christ because of his life, death, and resurrection. And therefore, since the end of things is not the result of what has gone before, the only parts of our history that should influence us during this life are the parts that bless us. The times we loved well or when others loved us, the times of rejoicing, the times of forgiveness when we found healing and salvation in our daily lives or we shared that with another, times of spiritual growth and maturity as we come to know more and more of the grace of God. Do you see how when we begin to think of the salvation of God and his righteousness in terms of history and its lack of a hold on us, how it affects our daily life today? This is part of what the coming of Jesus is about It's not just about our future salvation. It's about our salvation today. And that is good news. This is what I think it means when we sang just just a moment ago, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That in the end, our history, our mistakes, our failings, our sin does not define us us. For fundamental to Jesus' salvation is not only forgiving us of the sins of the past, but also it is the redeeming of our past, where our past failure, sins, and their consequences are transformed by Christ's righteousness. So this Christmas, as we receive gifts from those we love, may those gifts remind us of the ultimate gift of Christmas, that Because of God's great love for us, this baby has come to save us from our sins. And more, as Paul writes, he has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. And fundamental to that gift is the gift of no longer being bound by the tyranny 
of our history. Now, instead of being limited to living out of our past, we can live into the freedom of our future. When you think of yourself, and this is the work that this information requires, when you think of yourself, you must think of yourself not of who you have been, but who you will be in the future because of Christ's righteousness. That is who you are, and that is what you should live into day by day. As you receive the gift of Jesus this Christmas, leave the bondage of your history behind. For as Paul writes in Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then. Stand firm when it comes to the past. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Hear the good news of the gospel. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.